Let's pray before the message. Lord God, bless us with your presence. Open our hearts, our minds to your word. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, lift us up, pointing us to Christ, conforming us into his image. Give us your will, Lord, in our walk of life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're continuing with our series, Living Stones. And we talked about how the most important aspect above everything is that we have a living faith in Jesus. And not just a living faith that sits there, but a living faith that ultimately bears fruit. And we are to follow Jesus, no matter the cost, no matter the circumstances, to continue to have that living faith that burns so brightly in our hearts rather than the darkness in this world. And so the first week we talked about that we are born to a living hope and we rejoice no matter the circumstances. Then last week, because we are born to a living hope, we are to live a life as the call of that hope is. We are to be holy in all that we do because we were bought with a precious price. This week, we are to be the living stones of a spiritual house. So this is the journey that you and I have been taking the past couple weeks. Let's continue on with this journey. I'm excited about this journey. We are picking up with our text from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. It says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So, let's talk about this. It talks about being children, right? Somewhere, someone, sometime, put together the rules that toddlers, small children have regarding their desires, their wants, and specifically their toys. Let me read you the rules that have been written. If I like it, it's mine. If I'm holding it, it's mine. If I can take it away from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If it looks like mine, it's mine. If you are playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. If it's broken, it's yours. <laughs> you understand this? These seem to be the rules that children have from the very beginning. You don't have to teach them these rules, right? As a matter of fact, you have to teach them how to be good and to share and to cooperate a different type of life. So what Peter is writing about here is that we have an old life and a new life. That we, before we were in Christ, we were children of a different nature. And he talks about this in chapter 1, verse 14. It says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. 
So what are the passions of your former ignorance? Well, he spells it out here. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Now, this word malice, actually the word in the the original word is baseness. The baseness, put away all baseness. And baseness actually encompasses all of the other words that he uses. So you could translate baseness as malice, immorality, vileness, wickedness, and so on. And we are to shed all of that filthiness because it smells so much of our old nature. Now, my mom told me this because I would have to clean out the horse barn. That was one of my jobs growing up. And I'd have specific boots that I would wear for cleaning out that barn. And she would tell me, take off both your boots before you even walk in this house, right? And then take off those smelly, dirty clothes, especially when I was working on a different farm and had to clean out the sheep pens. Nasty, right? And you would just reek. Put all those clothes immediately in the laundry room because that reeks. Do you get the idea of now what Peter is writing about here? He's saying, put away all malice because it reeks of your old nature. You have a new nature in Christ. But like children, and children look for excuses anywhere. They say, but you didn't specifically mention that, did you? Right? The, we do that with our, with our old nature as well. So Peter increases the idea of what this means. He says, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy. So what's deceit? To trick someone so we can attain our own desires. Hypocrisy, acting a part. Envy, this is spiteful jealousy, bitterness, even greed. This is actually what he's talking about is even more than just wishing that you had What's something else? You almost desire harm to come to that person so you can get what you want. And then he says, all slander. And it's interesting. He does this, all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. So slander, it means actually speaking evil about another, doing harm with your words. And you know what's incorporated in all slander? Gossip and speculation. Those are so harmful, it's unbelievable. So Peter's saying, hey, you know what? This is all your former life when you were not a child of God. Now, I know, I know that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus but our old nature still wants to fight that. We even said that in our confession today. Our old nature still creeps in and has us do things we don't want to do. And it's really easy to do that, to gossip, to speculate, to do all of those things that are base. That's because our old nature is literally at odds with our new nature. And Peter says this in verse 11 from our reading. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners, travelers in this world, and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war 
against your soul. As I grew in my faith, one of the things I just stopped doing was gossip. And it was just, I mean, it was just one of those things. I would actually even remove myself. People will say, maybe I shouldn't tell you this. I say, well, you probably shouldn't then. But this is the battle that you and I fight. It's the old nature, the old child, so to speak, and the new child. And with children too, right? You had to teach them how to eat different foods. You had to introduce them to different foods because you would say, taste it, it's good for you, right? Something like that. Peter does the same thing here. He says this. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So he's saying, no, you you need to have different food. So let's talk about this word. He says, long for the pure. That, That word long for. It actually is more the sense of craving. Now, have you ever been on the couch? Maybe you're just watching a TV show and all of a sudden a certain food pops into your mind? Come on, I know you all have, right? And the more you're watching the show, this little thought gets in there and it starts to work its way. I know you're all probably salivating right now, but it starts to work on you and all of a sudden you gotta get up and you gotta have that food because you're craving that food, right? That's what Peter is talking about here. It's not just a longing for, but it's a craving, a continual desire. Not just a one time, but a continual desire for what is pure spiritual milk. Remember, pure means uncontaminated, unaltered, untainted. And so the question is, what is this pure spiritual milk that he's talking about. Can you even find it? And the answer is yes, you can. Because it is the very word of God that sustains us, that is pure. And we are to crave his word. As you become more spiritually alive in Christ Jesus, you crave his word more and more. I found a quote just this past week which fit perfectly for today. It said, Lord, increase my hunger for your word and decrease my hunger for this world. I thought that was just so apropos this week. But, oh, and this is important here, we are to crave the pure word of God. Have you ever gone to a health food store and actually have read the labels? Some of those things that are in there are just filled and as are sugary as almost anything else. I mean, I like orange juice, but if you read about orange juice, one glass of orange juice has as much uh, sugar in there as, uh, as pop does because it's so concentrated. Or I'm sorry, soda. Is this soda or pop here? Okay, but you understand. But people can put stuff in there that is supposed to be good for you, but ultimately isn't. It is the same thing with Christians. 
so many things that say they are Christians are either watered down or sugar-coated that they are no longer the pure word of God anymore. And this happens in churches too. There are some pastors who will never even mention sin because it makes people uncomfortable. So they start to sugarcoat everything and avoid the actual saying of God. It's only when you have tasted what the Lord has offered in its pure form that you can also tell when somebody has added or taken away from the word. And it's the same thing as a follower of Jesus Christ. So many people have, are, are passionate about a Jesus they don't even know. It is, he's become this other thing of the culture. Or it becomes so watered down or so saccharine sweet that it's no longer Christ Jesus anymore. You know, the more you actually know Jesus, the more you crave of him. You don't want the sugar-coated. You want Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. You want Jesus Christ, who is the Alpha and the Omega. You want Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. You want Jesus. It is this way. When we have tasted and seen the goodness of Jesus, we crave to know him more and more. And that's what happens with individuals, and that's what happens as a body of Christ. The more we know God's word, the more we know the pure Jesus of Scripture, the more we want to know him and grow into him and be conformed into his image. And the more that happens, do you know what? We become a spiritual house. So let's continue with our text. Verse 4 and 5. As you come to him, living stones rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is our foundation and he is the one that holds everything together. No matter what happens, no matter the earthquakes in the culture of this world, no matter the wars of this world, no matter the political parties of this world, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone and he is not moved. And we as followers, as believers of Christ Jesus are those living stones built on the living rock, the cornerstone. And we are being built up on his foundation. And there's a difference between living stones and dead stones. Living stones are the ones who are spiritually alive in Christ. Dead stones are the ones who build a church and build a building and then come to a building not a spiritual house. So what is a spiritual house? Uh, you know, when you take a look at the Israelites and what they had, the spiritual house was a place to go to. The tent of meeting in the 
in Exodus, the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. Later, it was the temple in Jerusalem. But you couldn't actually enter into the holy place or certainly not the holy of holy place. Only a priest could do that. But Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, came and tabernacled with us. He tented with us. See, God does not need a place because God is spirit. Thus, as living stones, this is really important. As living stones, you and I are the tabernacle. You and I are the tent of meeting. You and I together are a spiritual house. It's very different than coming to to a church. It is being living stones as a spiritual house. As living stones in Jesus, we together are the spiritual house. Look, even if the walls of this building came down, the church would still be standing because we are the living stones of a spiritual house, not of a building. And we don't need a priest to go into the doorway, into the holy place, because we are all called to be holy priests of a spiritual house. And this is what is called the priesthood of all believers. Now, this phrase, the priesthood of all believers, was coined, so to speak, popularized by Martin Luther in the Reformation. But Martin Luther didn't invent this. This is actually from Scripture. This is from 1 Peter. So what does it mean to be a holy priest of a spiritual house? I mean, what does that mean? Well, I I did some research in this, and I think you're going to find this interesting. In the Old Testament, priests were marked by blood in three places. The ear or ear lobe, their thumbs, and their big toe. This meant that they were marked for God, for service unto God, from head to foot, right? Uh, John Davis explains it this way. This act of the blood uh, on the the earlobe, the thumb, and the toe implied the complete dedication of life and ability to service, to be of service to God. Symbolically, the blood put on the right ear sanctified the organ to hear the word of God. That which was put on the right hand set the hands apart for the service for the work of the kingdom. And the right foot spoke of the sanctified walk of life. The priests were to be as an example for others. Interesting. And did you know that as priests, a holy priesthood in a spiritual house, you too are marked. Our ears belong to God. And he wants us to listen to his word. Our thumbs, our hands belong to God, and he wants us to do the work for the kingdom. And our big toes, our feet belong to God. He wants us to walk with him as we make our way through the world. You and I are that, not just me, us 
together. You at home, sit up straight right now. (laughs) Probably scared now. But we are all in this priesthood together. That's what we are called to. And as holy priests, in the Old Testament, they were called to make sacrifices. In the New Testament, we too are to make sacrifices. It says as a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Look, in the Old Testament, they did animal sacrifices. But those were just a foreshadow of what God actually asks of us. Listen to this from Hosea. He says, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. From Psalm 51, which, by the way, will be the, the, from, for the message on uh, Ash Wednesday. Psalm 51, starting with verse 14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will de- declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. We are called to give up spiritual sacrifices. So this means it includes the believer's knowledge of God, of prayer, of praise, a humbleness of heart. We also find that our bodies, our time, and our talents, the gifts that God has given us, are all to be used for his servant service. And this is not a casual call. This is not a call just for the pastor. This is a call that Peter is writing to everyone. And that's the call to which you are called that you are to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Oh, and there, there's the stumbling block right there. Jesus Christ. He is truly the crux of the matter. You see, a lot of people will say, I'm spiritual, but not religious. I'm sure you've probably heard that. It's throughout uh, our, our nation, but it's really heavily here in Fountain Hills. And people will say, well, I try to be like Jesus and Buddha and, and other religions that practice peace. And when people say things like that, oh, the world applauds. They're like, yeah, that sounds great. But if you say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him, oh boy, will you find resistance, Right? Speak of Jesus in general, like a good teacher. Again, people will applaud, but speak of Jesus as Lord and Savior and the one who died for your sins. Oh, man, and the demons start to come out and they start to howl greatly. And they reject Jesus of the Scripture. And he becomes a stumbling block, a rock of offense. As it says in from our reading today, 
But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. But you, you, children of God, in this royal priesthood, a holy priesthood, are called to do something very different. You are actually called to proclaim his excellencies. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Before, when you were children of your former ignorance, with malice and slander and baseness, when you were a pagan among pagans. Now, but now, because God has called you, because God has called you, you are something different. You are a, a, a holy priesthood. It says, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Because God has called you. Just like the reading from Exodus, it is God who brought his people on eagle's wings. It is God who has brought you to faith through the power of the Holy Spirit unto Christ Jesus. That's what you are called. And when you realize the great mercy by which you are saved, you start to proclaim his excellencies. Proclaim his excellencies. What does proclaim mean? Well, proclaim means to announce, to declare publicly, to show, to have an outward indication, to extol, to praise or glorify openly or publicly. Remember, this is Peter who's writing this, and he's writing to the exiles who are probably in a very hostile culture, a hostile situation. And, and they weren't really educated necessarily. A lot of people would have been low class. There wasn't grade school that you went to. There wasn't high school that you went to. Some were probably educated. Some were probably even wealthy. But he says to all of you, you are this. So therefore proclaim his excellencies where you are and where you go. Here's what he doesn't tell them. He doesn't tell them this. He does not tell them that their faith is a private faith only and that they shouldn't proclaim his excellencies to anyone. Or he does not tell them, well, just leave proclaiming his excellencies to the pastor or priest. He doesn't do that. And this goes against the true notion that's endemic in our culture that my faith is a private faith only. This is endemic in our culture. My faith is a private faith only. I like how one writer from Ligonier Ministries put it. 
from beginning to end, Scripture assumes that while personal faith is required for salvation, the personal faith that God demands of us is not a private faith. I'm going to read that again because I know it just goes against the culture. From beginning to end, all of Scripture assumes that while a personal faith is required for salvation, the personal faith that God demands of us is not a private faith. Why do we have that in our culture? Well, there's a lot of different reasons, but right now the institutional church says that just come to church, you know, and check the box, and you don't have to do anything else, just go home. But we have not literally discipled people within the church. And because we have not discipled and be grounded in Scripture, it's just a private faith. Personal faith, yes. Private, no. Now listen, I know that proclaiming one's faith in the words of when I was growing up, freaks you out, right? Scares most people to death. Now, I'm not talking about giving a sermon because I know that public speaking is the number one fear of most people. As a matter of fact, if they had to give a message at a funeral, they'd rather be in the coffin than give the message. That's how it works. Literally, public speaking is number one, death number two. So I'm not talking about giving a sermon. I'm not talking about going to seminary or anything like that. But what we are talking about is a faith that is alive in Christ Jesus. When you take a look at our mission statement, it starts off with first to grow alive and then grow deep and then grow bold. When you actually grow alive and deep, boldness is an outcome of growing alive and deep. You don't start with boldness. You start with growing alive and then deep. And sometimes you have to start small. This little cross that I'm wearing, it's pretty distinctive. I'll tell you how I started to wear a cross like this. When I worked at Best Buy corporate office, I met with a fellow named Craig, and we were in a meeting room just one-on-one. And he had a cross like this, and I asked him about it. And he said, well, it reminds me of the blessing that I have in Christ Jesus, and it's a way to share silently my faith. And I said, well, I have a cross too, and I had it on the inside of my shirt. And so I took it out, and I said, Maybe it's time I wear my faith on the outside. And that's just a small way to start. Dave Cosman, I mentioned him last week. During his faith, as he grew alive and grew deep, he asked about the cross, so I got him one. And he started to wear a cross. And you know what? He wasn't accosted. Nobody beat him up for it. But it's a way to proclaim even silently. Or it could be as simple as starting when you have a talk with a person, you say, do you have a church you go to? You probably get, I'm spiritual, but not religious. And you say, well, that's okay. We got a really great church and I'd love it if you want to join us one day. And then because you've got the cards for our church, you give them cards, just say, hey, love to meet you up, meet up with you. You start small like that. 
And this growing alive, growing deep and bold is a cycle. It's not just you grow bold and that's the end. It's a cycle. You can, must continually grow alive, continually grow deep. And then that boldness starts to spill out because you can't help it. You know, a lot of people have mentioned that in the past, I don't know, maybe six months or so, my preaching has become more enthusiastic. There's a passion there that wasn't there before. And it's true, I, I feel it. And so today I want to give you a little bit of an insight into my journey. Not because I think I'm so great, because I don't, but it might encourage you. So about 18 months ago, in the summer of 2019, I was in a pretty low place. How do you grow a church? And there's a lot of different tips and techniques and tactics to grow a church. What do you do online? What do you do for first-time visitors? How do you incorporate all of that stuff, right? And it's all this tips and techniques and that. But I kept thinking, well, what about the gospel? Isn't the gospel sufficient? And then I, in August, I went to the Summer Institute of Theology at the AFLC. And it was no better because one class kind of really was about all these tips and techniques and tactics. And then there was another class about church, and that really had the gospel in. And I, I was just torn, and I felt actually almost schizophrenic. That was the word in my mind. I felt sad, I felt tired, I felt torn. And then in November of 2019, I finally came to a place, I said, listen, it's the gospel all or nothing that we either live and grow or die. We either live and grow by the gospel or not. And I believe the Lord has blessed that choice. Because since that time, I've grown more alive and deep in Christ Jesus. That his word just awes me. I don't know if you know this, this first Peter and second Peter was written by a fisherman. But then, so, so we did in, we started a series that, uh, what does it mean to be a Christian? And focusing really on the gospel. And then, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And then the pandemic hit, right? In the middle of that series. And I had to decide, do we pivot and start to talk about COVID? And later on, talk, talk about riots and, and unrest and and Black Lives Matter, and, and all of those things. And I said, no, it's the gospel. It's the word of God that will carry us through no matter what. And so we carried it through. And so then I have become more and more alive, and it just starts to bubble out of me, and I can't help it. There's a boldness that just, you've seen it, right? Right? Okay, some of you are like, well, maybe. No, but no, no. <laughs> What's he talking about up there? But it's happened. And you know what the great thing is? As I have focused on Christ Jesus and the gospel and said, I want to know nothing amongst you other than Christ and him crucified. I have seen people become more and more alive. And it's just wonderful to see. 
and people are raising up and there's a liveness in the spirit that hasn't been present before. And it's becoming more and more of a spiritual house. And that is a great joy. I think that journey is what Peter is talking about here. That you and I are called to a different life. To be living stones in a spiritual house. Again, I'm not promoting myself here. I'm just literally sharing you because it's been an up and down journey. And it's a continual cycle for me growing alive, deep, and then bold. Uh, you just don't stop at bold. You continue to grow throughout. That's the journey. And that's the joy. So, for you, in growing alive, deep, and bold, are you craving the pure spiritual milk of Jesus? In other words, have you developed an appetite for his word? you got to get into his word. And then two and three, I think I mixed these up. I think three should be number two, so I'm going to start this one first. How are you growing alive, deep, and then bold in the love and knowledge of Jesus? I think that's second. The third is, what's next in answering the call to be living stones and building the spiritual house of Christ Jesus? And within that, of the spiritual house of joy. What are your ideas about building this spiritual house of joy? And to that, everyone says, Amen. 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 